Hello, Lion Cook Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Lion Cook Thoughts Podcast. Uh, a little bit of a different episode today, and uh, one that is on a much um, sadder note. Uh, yeah, so back in 2019, uh, I released an episode with Professor Jerry Fischetti from the Culinary Institute of America. A little background on how I know him and how I, you know, what my experience was with him is he is a he was a great professor for me during my time at the CIA. Um, I had a bachelor's degree class class with him, and he would make it a, such a huge point for us to meditate at the beginning of every class. Um, and he would, you know, really emphasize mental health and well being outside of the classroom. And I was just blown away always by the um, the amount of like self care importance he put onto all of us those of us who were going into an industry that really lacks the education on self-care. And I always admired him for that. So when I started the podcast, I wanted to have him on. Uh, And just recently found out that on April 3rd, uh, he unfortunately passed away um, from a brief illness. And so I wanted to republish this episode because you know, I, and I went back and listened to it. And even in the beginning, like the first thing I tell him is like, Hey, like you were one of the most uh, impactful professors I've ha- I had at the school because of the self-care aspect. And so I wanted to republish this to honor him, to honor his message and to just honor someone who truly gave a lot of care for the people he taught and for the industry as a whole and cared a ton about industry professionals and how they took care of themselves outside of the kitchen and how they cared for themselves mentally and physically, but most importantly, mentally in a food business setting. So before I go into this republish of his interview, I just want to read what the CIA alumni, the Culinary Institute of America's alumni network put out in remembrance of him. And then I will you know, leave you with the interview I did in 2019. So they, they, they post, this is a CIA alumni network's post on Professor Fischetti's life, that the CIA received incredibly sad news that Professor Jerry Fischetti, class of 78, passed away on Monday, April 3rd, 2023, after a brief illness. He retired from the college in 2021, but continued to teach online through the fall semester. Professor Fischetti was beloved by students, fellow faculty, and staff. Professor Fischetti joined the CIA faculty in 1998 and was a member of the opening team for the Apple Pie Bakery Cafe. As a member of the School of Business and Management, he taught a variety of courses, including professionalism and life skills, organizational behavior, human resource management, and introduction to hospitality. He was selected faculty member of the year in 2011. In addition to being an AOS graduate from the CIA, he completed a bachelor's at Florida International University and a master's at the Rochester Institute of Technology. Professor Fischetti spent many years in the hospitality industry before joining the college as a faculty member. He was director of catering at the Ritz-Carlton in Atlanta. His industry niche was private clubs, and he was a food and beverage manager at Druid Hill Golf Club, which was in Atlanta, and general manager of Kirk Bray Country Club, which is in Providence. Professor Fischetti's true calling was in the classroom. He loved his students and teaching, and his students loved him. Uh, A student wrote in a reflection paper the following, Professor Fischetti is more than just a hospitality expert. He is a dreamer, a romantic, and a storyteller. He taught us that if you can dream it, you can do it. Many people dream about retiring in Europe, but he actually did it. His retirement plans inspired me not to hold back on my dreams, but put words into actions. Uh, And then they go on to say, we all wish Jerry would have had more time living his best life in Portugal with Tonka, his four-legged companion, and many new friends. But his mark on countless students and faculty and staff has been immeasurable, and his memory at the CIA will live on. I hope that gives you a sense of who Professor Fischetti was. Um, I was definitely personally devastated to hear the news. 
And yeah, I just can't say enough that going to a college that emphasized cooking, emphasized um, being great in the food profession, to have a professor really, th- you know, put in front of me the equally important task of caring for myself and serving myself and being there for myself as much as it meant to be someone in the kitchen. I just can never share how important that was and how much it impacted me. And so I hope you hear that in this replay of this episode. Um, and yeah, we're just going to get into it. Uh, rest in peace to Jerry Fischetti. Thank you, Professor, so much for everything. And here is the interview I did with him. And hopefully this honors his legacy in some way. And hopefully you can understand the insight that um, Jerry Fischetti had and the impact he had on uh, probably countless students throughout his time. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Sure. Uh, it means a lot. Uh, just to get started, just like you know, you were one of the most influential professors I had at the CIA. Oh, thank you. You, uh, you imparted on me a way of caring about people and looking at people in a different way that worked for you. And I definitely think your teachings and lessons will help me throughout the rest of my career. So I just wanted to say thank you to start. Oh, great. You're very welcome, Ray. Um, so if you want to just begin by introducing yourself and tell everyone a little bit about what you do. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm Jerry Fischetti. I am an associate professor at the Culinary Institute of America in the School of Business Management. I've been here for 20 years. Um, I've been through uh, five colleges and my work experience has been with private golf and country clubs, the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company, um, and Hyatt Hotels as well. Um, and I do some consulting with uh, uh, restaurants and food service companies in addition to teaching at school. Great. That's great to hear. And uh, so if you, I want to get into your career uh, a little bit later on, but first I wanted to start out with where are you from and what food was kind of like growing up for you? Well, I grew up in New York City. Um, okay. My All my grandparents are from Italy, so um, food was our life. Um, we were fortunate enough to have uh, Grandpa's Country House um, in rural Dutchess County, so I had the best of both worlds. Um, the culture of being in an urban center during the school year and then being out in nature during the summers. Okay. And um, for, like, why was it important for you to have both those experiences, like, coinciding with each other? Well, I think, you know, it gave me, it, it was an opportunity. Grandma raised all the food that we ate. So food was really our life. It was fresh out of the garden of the season. Um, It was a big part of how we lived. So I think it gave me an appreciation for nature and an appreciation for business as well, being in both environments. It must be weird to have seen, you know, food kind of go away from that for a little bit. And then now it's exploding where every chef wants to work with food that is grown like right in their backyard. (laughs) Exactly. We were eating organic food before people knew what the word organic meant. (laughs) That's good to hear. Yeah. And so what are some, what is a, maybe a food memory? Like, do you have any specific food memories that kind of, you know, sparked your interest into becoming someone in the food industry? Well, it was always fascinating to watch my grandmother. Um, 
one of the things was homemade pasta was a regular thing. Um, the entire family, let's see how many families, three families would get together um, every year at the end of August to can enough, can and bottle enough tomatoes um, that would last three families for the entire year. We never, ever bought a can of tomatoes. Wow. Um, so that's, you know, that's what life was like. And in grandma's house, she had two kitchens. My other grandmother had two kitchens, the industrial <laughs> kitchen downstairs and the regular kitchen upstairs. So that's uh, how we lived. Yeah, I definitely uh, get the uh, canning process. My grandfather, when he was still alive, he was also Italian, would always can tomatoes and stuff in the summer. And uh, it was almost as if, like, it wasn't going to be able to, like, he wasn't going to be able to get them in the winter. Like, he canned so many tomatoes, it was insane. Um, so, it was, like, it's interesting to hear that we kind of had that same, I guess, upbringing. Absolutely. And then, uh, we I mean, it was like factory work. Um, there was so <laughs> much, There was so much going on. And we would have a galvanized, um, like, trough outside on top of a fire, a wood-burning fire. And that's how everything was, you know, preserved, you know, and, and canned off. It was interesting. Everything would go outside in the fire and then up into the storage area. Well, canning is hard work, you know. There's a lot that goes into it, and you don't want to make anyone sick, especially when it's for your family. That's so. right. Yeah, it definitely takes a lot. And, uh, you know, so how did you get into the food industry? Uh, what, you know, made you interested in working in this crazy industry that we're both in? Well, um, when I turned 11, my parents moved up to Orange County near West Point. And that's a, a small town called Warwick, about 8,000 people. And the only jobs around were food service jobs. So I started working in restaurants in high school. Okay. And it was kind of fun, you know, and I sort of knew the process being around food. And it was sort of uh, comfortable. It was a comfortable environment for me. So I would do prep and clean vegetables and learn things as I went along. And um, I was at the crossroads in high school, either going to be a psychologist or um, go to the CIA. And I was encouraged <laughs> to go to the CIA because at least I could make some money. So um, interesting how things go uh, full circle eventually. Why were you interested in psychology? I'm just trying to figure out um, how people how their minds worked, what made them tick. Because the only mind I knew was my own. And um, I was really interested, you know, with people having different ways of um, uh, responding to life and different attitudes and perceptions of things. And I was always, it was just, that was my curiosity. I wanted to know why people, you know, behaved and thought the way they did. Yeah. Well, you definitely picked a good profession to kind of see yeah. the extremes of a lot of people. So, yeah. Uh, so I, I always found it interesting how, you know, in our industry, even people, you know, people like you who are teaching now, uh, we've all at some point had to clean vegetables and pick herbs and whatnot. I think it's such a humbling way to start, you know, 
a career. And I found that when I was starting on my career, I was excelling at those things because I was so passionate about it. Were you, you know, in the beginning excelling at food like projects or were you, was it just like a job you kind of wanted? In the beginning, it was just something to do. Um, I think I was really, I was, okay. Um, I'm a big picture person. I would get annoyed with the repetition. Okay. I peeled this garlic once. Uh, Why do I have to do it again? And again, and again. (laughs) And for me, you know, that was the downside. It would be the, the menial repetitious work. For me, the upside was, okay, creating a business and people coming in and beautiful plates and, and, you know, the whole coming together of atmosphere and, and hospitality and food. To me, that was the magic. Okay. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good like way of looking at it. And that's, I feel like that's why, why a lot of people get into the industry is like that magic of it all. Uh-huh. Uh, I know there's some chefs who love the, the grind every day. Yes. Um, yeah. But there's definitely other people like you who like the, you know, the bigger picture, the bring everything together, the feeling at the end of an event where you successfully did something. Right. Exactly. So. Exactly. And so how did you kind of make your way more into the industry? Like, what did you do after the CIA? Well, after the CIA, um, I, I was cooking. I, I went to cook for um, actually my executive chef for externship he was quitting i did my externship at a playboy club resort hotel okay if you okay. Did, you could just imagine it was like a sexy disneyland it really <laughs> it, it was just a, like a land of make-believe but in you know with a different uh slant and anyway um playboy was divesting itself of of uh, of the hotels my chef was leaving. I was graduating in another few months. He was going to California. He said, why don't you come? We're open. I'm joining this group. We'll be opening up all these restaurants. So I went to California and it was a great experience. We opened up four restaurants in two years and I was cooking and I was, you know, doing my thing back there. Um, and um, it was a great experience. And then I went to Chicago with him and then what forced me to front of the house um, I was breaking out with eczema um, from my hands being in water and shrimp and all of this all day long. So I went to front of the house and I was like, wow, this feels like home to me. Um, it's not as grueling. It, there's a, a beauty to the ambiance and there's air conditioning and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're not killing yourself in the heat. And I yeah. just took to it. So that's what made me um, want to continue and go back to school and get educated. Yeah, yeah There's definitely a, a difficulty, though, for front of house. Um, for me, it's always remembering table numbers. I don't know why, but table numbers and me don't get along. <laughs> yeah. So. That's where you just have to sit up at night and stare at the sheet with the, with the drawings. Yeah, definitely. So what? So after you got into front of house, what was your next move? Um, the next move was realizing I needed more education. I went to Florida International University in Miami, um, and I went there 
I did special events for the dean, so I got a full scholarship for my second year. I opened up the High Regency Miami as a server in fine dining. I went over to the Grand Bay Hotel in Coconut Grove, opened that as a captain, filleting turbo all night long. Um, so it was a great experience being in, in Miami, working and being in school at the same time. It was really um, a, a good choice that I made. Okay. And then after that, what next? After that, Atlanta, the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. They hired me to manage their fine dining restaurant called The Restaurant. And we were named one of the top five hotel restaurants in the country while I was managing it. So they immediately gave me opportunities to grow. And I became the director of catering within six months. Really? Yeah, it was, great. Wow. it was a great, great experience. And so I, I worked in restaurants. It was my actually my first profes- professional kitchen was in a hotel restaurant. What are the differences, do you think, between a regular restaurant and a hotel restaurant? And what do you think? Why do you think it's more challenging to work in a hotel restaurant? Um, in a hotel restaurant, everything is compartmentalized. Um, the spaces are greater. There's a l- many more people to deal with. Um, rather than being as much on one team, there are more silos. And if you need some equipment, you call stewarding. If you need linens, you call housekeeping, rather than just being able to run and grab and get things done. Okay. That that tends to be the the biggest difference. Okay. And I've also found, like, with hotel restaurants or I've seen maybe a better bigger budget for like the fine dining aspect of it all. Oh yeah. The, the, the budget is generally more generous, right? And there's a lot more support as well. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, and so you don't have to be the plumber and electrician, you call the engineers. Um, yeah. So it, it tends to be different in that way. And, and we ran, you know, a, a high level fine dining restaurant and it it was I was very proud to work there okay and I mean the Ritz Carlton is huge how did like what values or what skills do you think helped you get that position so quickly um I think being enthusiastic being positive knowing food having a variety of experiences Mm -hmm. um and having an eye for details. Okay. And I think that's, you know, that's, that was all helpful. But I think the main reason is that, you know, me as a person being enthusiastic and being positive and, and uh, having um, hospitality at the forefront of everything I, I've been doing up to that point was really the um, the factors that got me there and got me to grow so quickly with them. Okay, great. And I mean, you're someone with a lot of high energy. I mean, I remember in class, like the whole class was like just fun because of your energy. And I'm sure that had a big part of it as well. So do you think like keeping a, maybe not a high level of energy, but like a consistent level of energy is good when starting at a new place and trying to move up? I think maintaining an in- enthusiastic outlook and being positive makes such a difference 
It, okay. it makes work enjoyable. The guests feel it. Your employees feel it. Um, that's where people want to be. The, people want to be in a good place. Okay. And what do you um? What do people? What do you think people enjoyed about your leadership style? Well, I think that I there was no compromise on delivering hospitality, and and to me, in my definition. Um, is really about evoking a positive emotional response. That's the job. Okay. And it, it's endlessly repeating that simple message. This is why we're here. And, and, you know, reminding each other every day and looking for ways, how can we do this? Okay. Uh, is, is really um, the foundation, you know, of, of really being the leader with the, with the team and helping uh, the team members to uh, grow and define how they uh, interact with the guests. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's something so simple, but I feel it's lost in a lot of chefs uh, in general is restating the why. Like, because I feel, especially in the back of house, you know, I haven't had much front of house experience, but for back of house, Every day, like you said, there's a grind, there's monotony, you're doing the same prep over and over and over again. And if you're not really sure about your why, you can kind of go down this like this track where it's just like you're not even sure what you're really doing except going in the next day and working as hard as you can. But if you don't have a why, I feel like it's very hard to keep that positive energy and outlook going. Absolutely. And, and that's the, the responsibility of leadership is to keep people's attention and focus on why they're there. Um, Because, you know, we're all distracted. We all have another life. Life is a series of events and high points and low points. It's not one straight line. And we all need to be reminded what our responsibilities are. Okay. And so how would you, I guess, remind people or how would you give advice for cooks to remind their employees about the why or even so like how would you even give advice to a cook who isn't a leader in the kitchen just someone who's there how would you inspire them to keep their own why in their head when maybe their chef isn't well i think we have to challenge the people we work with um about what their goals are that whole idea of personal mastery, where do you want to be? What do you want to be? Um, what do you want to be working toward? And, and, and I think that's really important. And on the same token, if you want to be really successful at what you're doing right now, mm-hmm. you need to really understand how you're showing up. Um, okay. That really matters, you know, that being mindful of how you're feeling and being mindful of people around you and, and really paying attention to what your own personal behavioral pattern is like. How are you coming in? What are you doing to influence everyone else around you? Okay. Yeah. I was, I just had the podcast interview with Dean Regat and we were talking about how she suggests uh, before every day starts, take 30 seconds, look in the mirror or just like take a deep breath and, you know, tell yourself what you're going to accomplish today or why you're doing what you're doing today. And 
I feel like with you in your class, uh, so I was in your organizational behavior class, for those who don't know that are listening, you always had us do five to 10 minute meditations. And that really helped me just get a, a break from reality for a little bit and just kind of go into my head and like think things through in a very peaceful and productive way. When did you start getting into meditation? Um, when I did some uh, graduate work at UC Berkeley, um, I went to um, uh, the Greater Good Science Center where I, I studied about social and emotional intelligence and the application in an educational setting. And that really started connecting lots of dots for me. And that's where I said, you know what? Um, I could make, a, I could show people the way forward if they can show up wherever they are showing up to their family, to their employer, to their pets, you know, to be present mm-hmm. and to be mindful of what's going on, they're going to be in a better place. And with that productivity and getting through the day is going to be so much easier. Okay. And I mean, I feel that a lot of cooks can benefit from meditating. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. The higher the stress, the more you need it. And, you know, you think about us handling what comes our way every day, like a big stock pot, right? Mm -hmm. And if the stock pot is empty at the beginning of the day, you've got lots of room to put your ingredients in and make your stock. But if that pot is three quarters full, like your head, three quarters full of other thoughts and distractions and worries and concerns, you don't have room. Mm -hmm. You don't have room and a clear head. You've got to empty that out in order to be able to handle what comes your way in a more productive way. Yeah. Okay. And, and I feel like a lot of cooks nowadays are getting into cooking for, you know, the recognition and awards and whatnot. And I feel like that's always looming in their heads and that's always giving them that, you know, not clear mindset. What are your thoughts on, I guess, awards, recognitions, because, you know, you worked at the Ritz Carlton and you obviously got awarded. The organization got a lot of awards and it still is like, what, what do you think about awards in general? And what do you think about, you know, the next generation of cooks all striving to be recognized now more than ever? Well, I think, you know, having lofty goals is really important to really, you know, stretch and reach high. And I think that brings out the best in people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I really believe that that will help them. It will guide them to explore and try different things to get the best possible outcome. But I think the one word that generally is missing from um, the workplace is sustainability, not only of food, but sustainability of the human resources. And okay. what I mean by that is that, you know, we create an environment where people can flourish and they can sustain their jobs. We are not putting them in a meat grinder for 85 hours a week and expecting them to do that week in and week out. Because that's not a sustainable business model. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, you're right. I, and that's not where the industry is, obviously. Um, 
but I feel like it's something where the industry can go. But it's also like for me, I feel like you have to be motivated to do those hours. So if you really enjoy what you're doing, I feel like a lot of times those long weeks don't really feel like long weeks. But I feel like a lot of cooks are stuck in where they don't really enjoy what they're doing, but they're there either because someone told them to be there or because an award the restaurant was given. And all of a sudden they're stuck in this cycle of trying to grind it out in hope of, you know, getting somewhere someday. And I feel like that's the wrong way about going about your life and career in general. Um, I don't know. Have you ever witnessed that or thought that or? Well, I've seen lots of people burn out and it's sad. And these are people that are creative geniuses, people that are talented. Um, and I think everyone has a different level of stress and work that they can handle. And it's up to the individual to find their place and a place okay. that's sustainable for them. Um, like you say, you know, this um, uh, desire to do well um, does push you to, you know, put in the hours and put in the time. And I'm not saying anything contrary to that. But I, mm -hmm. what I am saying is that um, knowing yourself well enough, um, what can you, what can you persevere through? You know, what, what's your maximum? And believe me, everyone needs to recharge and regenerate. Okay. So. Yeah, and I. And that's that's a I guess that's a difficult thing with our food industry though is because you know you hear about practically everyone who's been successful at one point had to go through a lot of adversity, and you know there's an argument like if you don't go through adversity you'll never know how to overcome adversity, so there's this balance between you know putting challenges in front of employees but then pushing them too far to where they can never overcome those challenges and I think what I'm getting at is like, it takes a good leader to know the difference and it takes a good leader to know that you can't just burn everyone out, that there has to be a little bit of giving right. time. Right. And, so. there, and there is going to be times of uh, challenging times. Absolutely. During season, you know, there may be a push with this uh, eight or 10 weeks where it's, you know, full throttle, but then mm -hmm. again, there's got to be the balance where, there is an opportunity for people to refuel and recharge. Okay. Great. And uh, so I want to get into uh, cooks in front of house and whatnot. So first off, you, you kind of stated why you like front of house. What, why do you think it's important that a cook should know about front of house? Well, I, you know, coming back to the statement earlier about why you were there um, and why you're cooking and being able to remind yourself, I think every cook needs to have um, a hospitality experience within the environment that in which they're working. Okay. They need to know that their perfect grill marks sitting at a table make a difference. Okay. The way that they will know that is through the experiencing that. Um, and I think for them to experience as a guest the front of the house is really important. I think for the uh, back of the house to be in a support role in the front of the house for maybe a week or 10 days is very important. And conversely, I think front of the house people working the house in a support role for a week or 10 days, also very imp important. 
because people need to be able to empathize with each other if they're going to get along really well. Okay. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think when you're a cook, the reason I think it's important is because I think when you're a cook, you put up a plate and the, like in your mind, mentally, the last p- point you see that plate is at the window or at the pass. Right. And you don't see further. And I feel like when you serve that food, you kind of, it's like kind of walking out into the dining room, like in your mind, like when you put up that food next time, after you've served, you'll see that going all the way to the table and to the guests. And when you have a bunch of tickets on the for- on the board and you're just a cook, you're kind of cooking for paper. You're not cooking for guests. Right. So when exactly. you actually get to see that, you know, it's a big difference. So, I mean, that was a big thing for me, but I also wanted to hear your perspective on why you thought it was important. Yeah, very, very important. So that they see the big picture and they see um, their contribution to the whole. Okay. So I want to get into, uh, so we have such a large industry and I feel the biggest challenge chefs face is empowering people or feel, making people feel empowered that their job has meaning that because everyone wants to have a meaning, like they want to be meaningful. They want to have an impact. I guess my, my example is how do you empower the dishwasher? How do you empower the people that, you know, not saying the dishwasher is the lowest position in the kitchen at all. It's one of the most respected and you need a good dishwasher in order to function. But how do you empower someone who's, you know, doing dishes and maybe feels like they're not as important as the lead line cook or lead prep cook? Well, I think, you know, that is the, you know, $50,000 question for uh, people in an environment where uh, there are simple repetitive tasks. It's difficult, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I think there are ways. I think empowering people, uh, people having a say in their work, they can make decisions that affect their work um, and their work processes their schedules, options to make a difference to other people, um, where teamwork is encouraged and celebrated. Um, okay. And I think uh, people need to be empowered in a way that um, mistakes um, are not failures. That's a learning opportunity. And, and we see that as an opportunity to grow. And I think the culture overall has to be that, you know what, you are not pigeonholed into a position. You are here in this position right now, um, but you have the opportunity to make your life with us. And I think, you know, we have to give them an opportunity to stretch and if they stretch and they want to take extra classes and we support them and they want to, you know, take on a job rotation with some other positions, we should be encouraging this. Um, And I think giving them control over their destiny is the first step in empowering people. And secondly, um, you know, that they are helping to make decisions about, schedule, uh, um, how work is shared and, you know, everything to do with their personal job. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree on that, that they need to have kind of, they need to kind of have choices in what they're doing or at least a choice in how they're doing their task. Obviously there's no, the task has to get done, but having their own personal way of getting there. Right. I think and, and valuing their, their comments and their questions and their input and their concern. 
Um, I need more bus pans so the flatware doesn't get so filthy and we can rinse it off quickly. You know, small things like that. We, you know, we should be open um, because the more that they suggest that we can implement, uh, I feel the more empowered people feel that they're making a difference in whatever they're doing. Okay. Yeah, and I was, I forget where I heard it from. I was listening to a podcast and basically they were saying how the best leaders at some point, you know, let your best workers go. Like so maybe someone you've been mentoring for a while, you know, instead of holding them until they resent you, you let them go and then they realize that, hey, like the kitchen culture back in my old restaurant is better than anything I'm going to find. And they end up coming back and building these long relationships. I was wondering if you ever encountered that before. Um, I think, you know, well, I think when you can no longer provide opportunities for learning and growth, it's time to let people go. Okay. Kind of let them kind of move on. And- yeah, let them move on. Absolutely. Yeah. And have you, ever, have you ever had anyone come back like because they enjoyed working or just come back because maybe they liked the company or they just really enjoyed what their role was there? Hmm. I mean, yeah, I've had a tough. couple of employees in Atlanta come back. Yes, I've seen that. Um, mm-hmm. I know I just got called back to do consulting work for my a chef that worked for me 20 years ago. Really? Yeah. So, huh. yeah. So I guess what, getting into that, I think what I'm trying to get at is the bigger, the biggest picture is building a relationship where your contacts not only benefit you in the job you're in, in the today, but maybe the projects you have 20 years down the road. Absolutely. And, and the same thing, keeping those lines of communication open because we can all, you know, uh, the world is so complex We'll never know everything. And sometimes we need to lean on each other. And it's nice to have some good friends where we could share information. We could support each other. And it becomes a two-way street. Okay. Yeah. Um, a big question. I know we've kind of been talking about it, but maybe a more specific example. A lot of folks that follow me on my Instagram or the podcast, they ask me about, you know, they're working in Michelin kitchens or fine dining kitchens. And they don't feel, they feel like they're just like a cog in the machine. They're just you know, another worker and yet they're, they're loving it. They love the food and they love the prep and they don't mind doing any of it, but they want to feel more empowered themselves. And you can't necessarily, you know, tell a Michelin graded kitchen that they're doing it wrong. So what do you, where do you see the industry going in terms of employee, like employee empowerment and, you know, especially in these fine dining restaurants, I feel like that's where the worst cases are in terms of people just feeling like they're just causing the machines. Well, I think that's where, you know, some of the macro decisions um, are opened up to the team rather than just being held by the executive chef. For example, seasonal menu change. What do you want to do on your station? Let's do some testing. Tell me what product to bring in. And then we'll all get together and we'll evaluate and we'll you know, we'll work on this together. And I think take a team approach um, to the development of the, of the, of the food and the menus um, would keep 
people interested. That's a huge way to empower people that they say, you know what, on my station uh, for summer, I would really like to try ABC. Well, then we bring in the product and let you play with ABC. And um, hopefully, you know, we work it out together and it becomes, you know, something that we sell. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a good idea. That's not something I really thought of before. I've been a part of that and it made me feel really like empowered. So it makes sense. I just never you know, had that in my head. So thank you for talking me through that. Sure. Um, and my last, I guess, point on kitchen work before we start to get into like, maybe organizational behavior teaching is, you know, I noticed a lot of minimum wage going up and maybe that's, you know, that's a large part of that is due to employees wanting to be empowered more, wanting to be paid more. How do you, what, what traits do you think a restaurant or a restaurant or like a hotel restaurant are going to need to be able to like survive in the competitive competitive market in the next 20 years with like rates like employee rates and whatnot coming up because it's hard to it's hard to train people and it's expensive sometimes right and um you know and i think that rising wages is the new reality um many states are going to minimum 15 dollars an hour so that's you know that's definitely part of the landscape um i see that there are going to be continued labor shortages because there are less people that are willing to do the manual work that it takes to be in hospitality. Um, I see that the smart operators will be finding ways to incorporate both um, machines and technology, robots, um, and the smart employee is gonna learn how to adapt and work side by side very well. Mm -hmm. In, the, in that kind of an environment. Okay. But yeah. I still think that, you know, the high-touch hospitality does remain vital, that there has to be some human interaction and contact um, of that warmth. Uh, those will be the winning organizations. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Uh, it's a little worrisome sometimes with how far technology will advance, but it's, you know, it's going to happen regardless, but absolutely, you know, you know right now there's a, um, a company in Pasadena, California. I don't, I forget the name of it. Um, they have a robot cooking their burgers. Mm -hmm. Okay. They still have cooks. Now the cooks are assembling orders, but they're not standing over that heat mm -hmm. and they're not scraping a grill and they're not melting cheese on the cheeseburgers. They're getting all of that from Flippy, the robot, and they're doing <laughs> the other assembly work. I mean, so it's really, to me, I would love to be working next to a robot doing all the work that I don't want to do. <laughs> okay. Yeah, when you put it that way, I guess it makes sense. <laughs> so, that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. Maybe it might be a little more sold on it now. Yeah. Uh, what got you into teaching? Because, you know, I mean, I've talked to a couple of people, a couple of chefs from the CIA, Dean Burgett, obviously. And it's always interesting to me to see this, see very successful people in the industry go to teaching, run and teach the next generation. I already know that at the end, like near the end of my career, maybe in the next, you know, 20 years, at some point I want to be in a teaching role, maybe not 
full time, but in some way I want to be able to teach. So what got you into teaching? Um, when I was 18 years old, waiting online for lunch at the CIA, I turned to my classmate. I said, you know, someday I'd like to come back here and teach. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Because I think that's the, the most noble occupation of making a difference in the world is okay. to, you know, share whatever your knowledge and expertise is with everyone that you can. Um, now, in, in that 18-year-old mind, I thought I'd be like 60 years old and ready, you know, just to give something back at the end of the line. But it happened much faster, and I'm so glad it did because, um, you know, I have a healthier life because of it. You know, mm-hmm. I've been able to study more. I've been able to have a balance of home life and work life and and taking care of myself. It's just been the most wonderful um, occupation that I could have dreamed of. Okay. I mean, you have a very genuine way of doing it, too. I mean, your classes are very interesting. I remember my first class of yours, when you said we were meditating, I was like, what? Like, what did I just get myself (laughs) into? Like, I'm not meditating. Like, I'm here to learn about organizational behavior. Like, what is this guy talking about? I'm good. (laughs) But but, um, after your class, I mean, like I said, it was probably my favorite of the semester, or one of my favorites, and it was it was just great because you just you aren't you got it. Like, you get you get where cooks come from, and that's kind of why I wanted to have you on the show. You get where cooks come from, and you apply what you know into everyday situations and whether it was, you know, having us look up articles to share with the class or, you know, just showing us videos. I remember you showing that, that robot video in class. Like, like those examples are the real world examples help get the message across. Yeah. So how do you go into planning a lesson and how often does your uh, material change? Because the food seems like evolving, like, is it each semester you add something new every year? Like, how do you kind of go behind that? Well, you know, the way I look at it, some of the basic values and fundamental thoughts tend to stand up to the test of time. With the, with the challenges is bringing in fresh examples and what's actually happening today, making it relevant for today's student. Why is this a good idea? Well, let's look at X, Y, and Z. This is what's happening out there. Um, so I think, you know, continually reading and, and, and going through journals and publications and trying to find fresh uh, ideas of what's happening out in industry um, is the best way um, to make um, the students realize that maybe the information is valid. Okay. Are there any books you would recommend? Oh, there's a, a, a ton of books. Um, you know, that it just depends what the students want to do um, or what they're really looking for. Servant Leader is a great book. Um, um, it depends on what else th- that they would really like to learn about. If, if they want to know about, you know, organizational behavior or management or self-development, there's all kinds of readings. And um, 
I can send you a list if you'd like. Yeah, if you could, that'd be great. And I'll post it up on the Instagram. So okay, when we, when we release this, we'll be able to share it. Okay. Uh, you know, coming down to a couple of last questions, but I think how when you started teaching, how did you kind of, you know, like you said, you're really good at breaking through the chefs. How did you kind of find your teaching style? How did you end up knowing that you were going to be able to talk to a bunch of cooks who were there just to get an, maybe get a credit, another credit on their way to graduation? Yeah, and I think, you know, that's always the challenge is, you know, how do you relate to people? And mm -hmm. I think um, by being empathetic and being a good listener, um, asking for feedback, asking what they'd like to do, um, mm -hmm. making, again, just like at work, making the students part of the progress, a uh, part of the process of, of mm -hmm. what's going on. Um, today, mm -hmm. I, if, like example today, I moved around two lessons from my students because we have Easter, Good Friday, whatever is happening. And I said, what would work for you? They said, this would work for us. I said, okay, that's what we're doing. And okay. I think that, uh, people tend to be engaged when they feel like they're part of the process. Okay. That's awesome. Um, so I guess what is what's going on with you in the next year or so? How much longer are you teaching for? Um, I'm teaching for one more year and one week, April 17th, 2020. Um, okay. And I'm moving to Portugal. Okay. And, Congratulations. Uh, thank you. And it's going to be san diego weather and bicycling everywhere and um, nice people and fresh seafood and olive oil figs um avocados oranges that whole mediterranean diet mm -hmm. and uh, i'm really looking forward to it because um uh, winter is not my favorite season no especially in the hudson valley that's right why, uh, I mean, besides everything you listed, like, what made you decide to go to Portugal? Was um, it just because of everything like that? or? Um, yeah, I made the list, and it was cost of living. Um, they will not double tax you on your foreign income, which is a big, mm -hmm. big, big bonus. Healthcare is free. Um, weather, bicycling, people, food. Yeah. Okay. All right, yeah. I mean, like I said, good luck with it. It looks beautiful there. And, you know, do you, do you plan on in some way teaching still, or is this it? No, no, no. Um, I may be teaching um, online for the CIA. Okay, okay, cool. Which would be great. Yeah, N not full-time, probably part-time. Okay. So my last question I want to ask you, my, I guess my last like topic that I didn't send you, but as I got ready for the interview, I thought about it more and more, is how do you, you know, you, you ended up going to, from being a restaurant manager to teaching. Now you're not really leaving teaching, but your time of full-time teaching is ending. How do you end, or how do you decide when it's enough or when there's, like, a next chapter in your life? Like, how do you make that decision? Like, what, do you, what have you found to be the best way of doing that? Um, you know, and then... <laughs> That's a great question. Um, when you listen to your intuition, when you slow down and say, you know, I love my job. I love what I'm doing. I'm, you know, the, the great life, great income. 
but I think there's something else out there for me. So uh, it's time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It's, it's definitely interesting to see when people transition from one big, you know, project to the next or one big life moment to the next. So. Right. And I think the secret to that is slowing things down enough where you do listen to your intuition because your intuition's never wrong. Okay. All right. So listen to your intuition cooks. Um, my <laughs> last, the, the way I end all interviews, uh, since day one is asking you why, or what does it mean to you to be a part of line cook nation? That's what I call the followers and the listeners of the podcast. And basically, basically it's a community of cooks, chefs, front of house people, back house people, everyone in the food industry coming together to share, relate, care for each other and just learn new perspectives. What do you, what does it mean for you now to be a part of that? Well, what it means for me is that um, it just reinforces how we are all just so small and so insignificant and we do not know everything. And mm-hmm. I think that there is so much strength and opportunity in sharing um, the wisdom of other people and their experiences are invaluable okay. um, to not make the same mistakes, to maybe find um, something that you've thought about and someone has done what you've thought about um, is priceless because that could be the way forward for you. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, thank you for coming on. Oh, I've been sure. excited for this for a while. Uh, for the listeners, I actually, uh, I actually ended up not having the interview at first. I scheduled it with Professor, and I totally forgot about it. And so thank you for being flexible and willing to come on. And it means a ton. It means a ton. Not a problem at all. Anytime, Ray. Thank you so much, Professor. Okay. You take care, Ray. You too. We'll speak soon. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening to the podcast. Um, just again, uh, my condolences to Professor Fischetti's family. Uh, again, I hope you heard this and just heard the just how much he cared. And I just really thought this interview was a um, really great uh, snapshot of the person he was and truly how much he cared about people. Not just he didn't see people as like the value of what they put into work, but also the value that they had in themselves and understood that people in the food industry especially need to be taught to value themselves more. So, um, yeah, like I said, rest in peace to Professor Fischetti. Um, it truly just, it's devastating. So, uh, but he is, he's a great man and his legacy, I will continue on through all the people he's impacted uh, throughout his teaching.